to Mark chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 7 through 21. Mark 3, 7 through 21. As you're turning there and getting ready, I want to ask you the question, who do you follow? Now, I saw somebody just yesterday at the grocery store, and I see someone every once in a while wearing a pirate hat at the store. And I could say things about the Pittsburgh Pirates, my favorite team to them, and so I can say and find quickly, are they really following that team? People also ask me occasionally, do you like such and such a speaker? Maybe it's someone in the political realm or in the technological realm or perhaps uh, someone who is a good speaker as far as Christianity goes. And I then ask the question, they might be a favorite speaker, but do you follow them? You see, we should follow Jesus. Many in this passage come to see him or to benefit from them, but how many really came to follow him? Follow along as I read three scenes, verses 7 through 21. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon, when the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. As we consider this scripture passage, God's word for us, true in all its fashions, let us come to him briefly in prayer. Lord, grant us wisdom today from your word. Grant us ears to hear it and hearts to understand it, that we might apply it to our lives, and that you might draw us to you by faith. And Father, we pray that everything spoken here, said here, done here, might be pleasing in your sight or pass away, never to be heard from again. We pray in Jesus' name. We know who draws the crowds, don't you? Those big celebrities. Celebrity athletes, celebrity entertainers, celebrity politicians, celebrity businessmen, and more. You know that they draw crowds for conferences, for events, for concerts, for all kinds of different things, and people come. People come to see them, just like the people here were coming to see Jesus. He had a big reputation as a healer and as someone who did things or said things that had not been heard or done before. 
And they came to all kinds of venues, didn't they? Mark here describes three scenes. One is the sea, the second is the mountain, the third is the home, assumedly the home he's staying in Capernaum near the Sea of Galilee. And in all of those places, particularly the first and the last, people came in great numbers, so much so that the disciples, it seems, must have had to play crowd control and give him an escape valve just in case uh, they might crush him or press him due to their actions. Mark describes these scenes with lots of action and descriptive detail, as he does throughout his short book. But people do come to people with this type of reputation, don't they? They come to do several different things. Maybe they come to catch them. That is, to find ways where they can show that he's not, or he or she is not really who they say they are. Or maybe they come to criticize them, to point out things that they like or dislike about them. But often people come in a crowd to get something from them. Maybe to get an emotional high, or in Jesus' case, to get uh, particularly a, a healing, or something like that. Or maybe you just come to satisfy your curiosity about this certain celebrity, as I think many of these people were doing in Jesus' day. But again, how many wanted to follow Jesus? You see, we're reminded that, that by this passage that only those who were called would follow Jesus. You see, we need Jesus. We need Jesus and we need to come to him, but we must have him call us. Why is that? Well, because these crowds are selfish. Because the twelve even had to be chosen, and because even his family, by their nature, was repudiating him. First of all, notice about these crowds. This is about scene one here, this amazing crowd. Notice what Mark says. He says here, they came from Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, beyond the Jordan, from around Tyre and Sidon. Matthew includes the Decapolis, all those cities in that area. That's a lot of places. And they were coming from, in that area, long distances. Idumea was way down across the Jordan and below uh, the late nation, much of the nation of Israel. Uh, Tyre and Sidon were clear up in the northwest quadrant of the area. And of course, the Sea of Galilee was close by to where Jesus was, but they're from all over the place. Here's the crowd that came to Jesus. They're, they're just from all over. Because he evidently had already by this time gained a great reputation, not just by his teaching, but particularly by his miracles, by healing and casting out demons. You see, it was because they came because of Jesus' reputation. Literally, it says, they came hearing how much he continued to do. Notice it wasn't because they wanted to see him and get to know him. It wasn't necessarily so they could hear his teaching and see what he had to say. It was because of all that he was doing and healing and helping people and showing compassion. This was the crowd that was coming. They were coming to see this amazing individual, almost a circus-type event. And what did this crowd then do when they got to Jesus? Notice what happened. 
When the great crowd heard all that was doing, they came to him and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. The word is actually squeeze or pressure. The crowd that would squeeze Jesus, in other words, they would come in upon him because they wanted, the sick wanted to come and touch him. Luke says, for power came out from him and healed them all. We know that even in these great crowds, we remember perhaps another event in Scripture where a woman comes in this great crowd just to touch the hem of his garment and power goes out from him and he notices that woman on the crowd and ends up healing her. This is what they wanted. You know, in those days, they didn't have pain medicine. They didn't have all the things that we do to try to to alleviate pain and suffering and all those types of things. And and here they were from every kind of malady, every kind of disease. They were coming to just touch him that they might be healed. And so the sick were, were squeezing and pressuring him so that he felt closed in. But not only that, you had others who came who had unclean spirits, demons. And the demons here wanted to counter his power. Notice what happens in verse 11. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. Now, in one way you think, wow, they really know who he is. On the other hand, why are they saying that? Well, there was an indication or a tendency in those days to think that if you know the name of somebody or the identity of somebody, then you might have power or influence over them. And so there is a, a measure by which they want this power and influence, particularly when it comes to the crowd or to the people that they were possessing. And yet this particular idea was thwarted by Jesus in two ways. First of all, notice what they do. They fall down before him. They are forced to bow before Jesus. This shows us particularly that these unclean spirits are not as powerful as Jesus. And they must submit to him because he truly is the Son of God. He truly is the divine Son of God with all this power. But notice the other way. He strictly ordered them not to make him known. Now, of course, what does that mean? Why does he do this? In part, it is to not give them the power and the opportunity to provide what God's mission was to Jesus. Jesus was supposed to make himself known through the power and teaching of the Holy Spirit. It was not the job of the demons. And in fact, it was not their position or their ability to do this. It was Christ, and so he silenced them. So the sick wanted to touch him. Those possessed by demons and the demons themselves wanted to counter his power he healed the sick, and he cast out the demons from the demon-possessed. But notice what's missing here. Here are these crowds pressing in upon him, coming from all over the entire region, assumedly here from every walk of life. There's no indication of a desire to be taught. And yet, what has Mark said about Jesus coming so far? So far, Jesus has said the most important part of his mission and his ministry in this early part was the teaching and preaching of the gospel. 
Mark's emphasis was on Christ's teaching ministry, and yet what does the crowd want? They want the benefits, not necessarily the teaching. They selfishly are taking advantage of this true servant of God. You see, these crowds were coming to get something, not to find Jesus. You know, here at Faith PCA, we are, the deacons particularly have been talking about it. We've, behind the scenes, been thinking about it. Now we need to work on it. It's currently reviewing and reworking our mercy ministry policies and procedures, our guidelines. What do we do when people from our church or our community need practical and physical help? We want to help. But what a pity that we have to set boundaries. We can't help everybody. We can't help everybody with all their bills and all their problems. We'd bankrupt ourselves tomorrow. And the other part of this is we know that some people are coming not to follow Jesus, not to gain the benefits, the true benefits that last forever in the proclamation of the gospel. Some folks want to take advantage and just get things from us. In fact, John 6, 26, I think it's in the outline in your bulletins there. It says this, when they came and they were fed by Jesus and the great miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus is teaching them about the bread of life, that he is the bread of life. But he says, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. In churches across our country and across the world, Many people come to hear the things of God not so that they could be changed and saved from their sins, but that they could get the benefits they think will come from it. Even many crowds sought to get something, but not to find the Savior, to find someone, Jesus Christ. But who would? Verse 13 gives us the next scene. Here's this great crowd at the sea, and he's being pressed in upon. People are trying to get stuff from him, get, get healing, and get the demons cast out, and all those things. In verse 13, at some point, he needs relief from it, doesn't he? And he goes up on the mountain, and it tells us here, he called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. Now, this is kind of interesting. Notice the apostles haven't been chosen yet. That's not the twelve. And notice the language that was used here. He called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. This was a prayerful choosing of his followers. In fact, when he gets up in the mountain, Luke's recording of this event tells us that he prayed all night before he chose the twelve. But notice what it says again in verse 13. Again, this is all of those disciples, not just the 12, but the ones who would follow him. He called them and he chose them. No, this is all of his followers at this point. Not just the 12, not just those who would have office, not just those with the particular gifts to go out into ministry. Those are the ones whom he desired to come to him. So out of the great crowds, all the people that are following him, he called and chose those whom he would have at this point in time to be his disciples. And then 
Verse 14 says, he appointed 12. This is the appointment of the 12. That is to choose in a particular way this calling for office or calling for this ministry. Of course, the term Luke here uh, uses the term apostles. When he says apostles, apostles is a technical term that means one who is sent out, especially on a mission of some sort. So in other words, he's choosing these 12 to go on a mission or to have a mission for God. And here's the mission. Now we could get caught up in all the names and all the different details of all the names. I'm not going to do that. I don't think that's the purpose I have for this particular sermon. We look at the names. There's Simon, there's James and John. Uh, it reminds us of all of them, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, otherwise known as Levi in chapter 2, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot. Here they are. What is their mission? Well, it's four, fourfold, threefold in Mark. We get from Matthew, there's also another uh, particular item in this mission. First of all, they should be with him. I really think this is the import, most important part of the mission. It's, it's mentioned first. You know, it's interesting here that we think a mission is all the things that we're supposed to do, right? But this part of the mission is where we're supposed to be. They're supposed to be with him. Perhaps you've heard the hymn where it says we're prone to wander. You see, if God does not constantly remind us by his word the need for us to be with him, we will seek ways in which to be outside of him or to be away from him and his influence. But the disciples, these 12, were to be with him. Now, of course, this is particularly, uh, literally meaning following him around for three years in places where they did not have a house to stay all the time, a place where sometimes they were going to go hungry, sometimes they are going to be challenged by Jesus in ways they've never understood before, and they're going to follow him and imitate what he does. That's what a disciple does, particularly in those days, when they understood that they would be at the feet of Jesus. That is, they'd follow him around, they'd imitate him, and they would seek to do what he did. But they were to be with him. You see, that's our calling, too, as believers. The first thing is to understand God wants us to be with Jesus, to be with the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. If we're not with him, we're not going to do the things, say the things, think the things that he wants us to. We're going to be all about ourselves. So they should be with him. Secondly, it says he should send them to preach or proclaim. Here is what it says here. He might send them out to preach. Now what is it that they're supposed to preach? It's the kingdom, the kingdom of God. Just like he was, the things like Jesus said earlier in Mark. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He should send them to preach. He should also send them to have authority to expel demons. Now that sounds kind of amazing, doesn't it? This is the kind of thing that does attract crowds. Matthew adds to heal every disease. 
Now, when we think about the ministry and mission of these disciples, these two, last two are secondary to the first two. The first one is to be with Jesus. The second one is to preach the gospel. And then comes the things of healing and the benefits that come uh, from being a part of the people of God. But notice what they're to be. First of all, heralds, and secondly, personal representatives of Jesus Christ. They are heralds in the sense that they are proclaiming the gospel, and they're representatives of the kingdom, not only as heralds, but that they free spiritual captives. What a wonderful mission. And notice what he's done. He's chosen 12. Now, we could say, why 12? We could say they represent the 12 tribes of Israel, especially since we know that the gates of the new Jerusalem will include some of these names. And, of course, these wonderful ideas of uh, the church being, representing Israel here. But they notice here there are three especially that are given new names. Here again is Jesus exercising his authority over his disciples as he chooses this inner circle. First of all, there's Simon, whom he calls Peter, or Rock. And then there's James and John, brothers, whom he calls the sons of thunder. Now, why he gave those names, how they are important, maybe we don't really know so much. We do know that James and John sometimes will come up with things that sound like the sons of thunder. But here is a reminder that this is Jesus appointing and choosing those whom he would choose to lead the church. Now, imagine that you have a business. Maybe it's a great big business. Maybe it's a corporation. Think about the employees that are hired. Most employees, if you are an owner or a businessman or a boss, you know that most of your employees have a tendency to do what? Complain, wander, question the mission or the purposes or the ideas that you have for your business. And you know that they're interested in their salary and the benefits you give them, maybe perhaps above all other things. And if they are seeking something else or think that they don't have what they want, they will readily leave your company. In fact, loyalty is perhaps at an all-time low as it comes to employees and their companies or the businesses that they work for. Why is that? Because they're thinking primarily of themselves. But imagine now you have an employee who you've called into your office and you tell him, I've chosen you to be the face of my franchise. And I've chosen you to be my representative in the community and in everything that you do. And I want you to be my representative amongst all the people that walk in the door of my business. How is that employee going to think as regard to the other employees in his business? You see, that's what Jesus is doing. All kinds of people are already coming to him. They're coming to him selfishly to get benefits and to get the things that they think will be wonderful in their own life. They're coming to satisfy their curiosity. They're coming to get healing. They're coming uh, to criticize or to come out with the crowd or whatever it is. But how many of them are coming to the kingdom to follow Jesus? Jesus must choose us. And call us to do this. 
You see, loyalty and calling to Jesus Christ is a supernatural event. That part of mine, that heart of yours, that by nature is sinful and selfish and complaining and criticizing and denying the purpose of God and his kingdom, must be changed and refreshed and brought new, born again, as scripture tells us. In fact, just later, John 6, 26 said, you all came so you could have your fill of the loaves. John 6, 44 says, no one can come to the Father unless he draws him. In other words, you can't come unless God has been working in your life. But boy, when he works in your life, you want more than just the loaves and the fish. You want more than just relief from your pain and disease. You want more than just the benefits of following a celebrity. You want Jesus, the person, the Savior. This is how the officers early in the church are called. This is also how the officers in our church should be called. It's not just about whether or not we think they're a good person or whether they think they have a lot of knowledge or a lot of practical gifts, it's, is God calling them to the office to which they are to serve? You see, we are selfish by nature. We must be chosen because we don't come to Christ ourselves by our nature. But look what happens even if we were close to Jesus. Here's his family. Here's scene 3, verses 20 and 21. Then Jesus went home. We think this is probably the house in Capernaum that's been referred to here since uh, chapter 1 and 2. And he goes and what happens? They find out where he is and the crowd comes again and they start surrounding him. Here's this great crowd again. They gather so that he could not even eat. This crowd prohibits him eating. Assumedly, they can't get food to, to him and his disciples. And even if they got food to him, he can't sit down. He can't do anything because the crowd is so extensive. They didn't have the, the little plastic barriers to put around him, perhaps. Or, or maybe the, the rope system that so many places have. They were just pressed in upon him. And his family has come. Of course, the literal sense is those from him. That is his family, his brothers in particular. And here's their reaction. Here's the family reaction. When his family heard it, they went out to seize him. You know, this is the word sometimes using for arresting somebody. They wanted to rescue him from that situation. They looked at this and they thought, he's, he's going to kill himself. He, he's not, uh, you know, this is what, what a mother does. Isn't it? Are you eating properly? Uh, you know, are, are you able to get plenty of rest? Uh, are, are you, and, and here the family is thinking, this is nuts. He can't, he can't even take care of himself. He's going to starve to death. He's going to uh, you know, burn out quickly, whatever it is. Whatever it is you're doing, Jesus, this isn't working. These people are going to drive you crazy. And then they say this. He's out of his mind. Literally means he, he's beside himself. They, they look at what he's and, and think of this. Here's his reputation. He's healing people. What a good thing to do. He's driving out demons, changing people's lives so that no longer are they influenced by dark forces. Now they're able to go out and glorify God in their lives. They're, they're hearing the wonderful things of God, but his, family, his own family, who he grew up with, who, who he was closest to uh, physically, they thought he was nuts. 
was crazy. He was beside himself. So here are those closest to Jesus who were not even believing him. We, we get this indication in other parts of scripture too. On the contrary, they came to the conclusion, Jesus, you're just plumb crazy. And I have to say, that's what the most likely people to think of you when you follow Jesus and you do things that show that you follow Jesus. You come to church on Sundays. You find it important to read your Bible. You pray about things, sometimes about things that, that everybody else in the world are, think are foregone conclusions. You'll still pray about these things. You'll make decisions that the world looks at and says, you guys are nuts. You might give up a lucrative job because you don't think it's what God has called you to do. You might make choices that don't give you more money. You might make decisions that, that might destroy a relationship with somebody because you stand on the principle of the scripture. You have hope for those that everybody else considers hopeless because you know that God can save even the worst of sinners. On the one hand, you seem optimistic at times when the world is so pessimistic. On the other hand, you have the harsh reality of truth when the world says truth doesn't matter. The world looks at all of us when we're following Jesus, and like Jesus, it's even sometimes the ones most closest to us that look at us and say, I don't know you. You're plumb crazy. I don't understand what you're doing. This is what Jesus was experiencing. By nature, we think that those that follow the kingdom and submit to his will, in Jesus' case, in perfect righteousness, are plumb nuts. Everyone must be called by Jesus to follow him. It's counter to our nature to think that there are things more important than money or more important than even good things like our family. Everyone, everyone must be called in order to follow him because the world considers it crazy. I want to ask you the question, do you want our church to grow? I do. I want our church to grow, not just for the sake of growth, but I want to see what God does in people's lives and see people come to Christ, and I want to see them receive all the benefits of faith and repentance. I want that. How do we see that happen? Well, we can't make it happen. All we can do is pray, as Jesus did. Jesus prayed all night. And Jesus must call those who would come to us. I can't go to somebody's house and give them all the truths of Scripture and give them all the things of Christ and make them come and understand and believe the gospel. I can't do it. I'm not good enough. I'm not talented enough. I don't have the power to change their hearts, but God does. The hymn Jesus calls us says, Jesus calls us o'er the tumult of our life's wild, restless sea. Like his disciples, we are his personal representatives, you and me. We're his personal representatives, heralds of the gospel, representatives who proclaim the wonders and benefits of God's grace. We naturally, what do we want naturally? We want selfish things. Even sometimes when I pray, I pray, Lord, help my kids to be safe, help them to be happy, Help them to uh, experience all kinds of blessings. 
Help them uh, to have a good life. Help us all to get along and help us have a good day. But we tend to wander off. We think God's ways are crazy. What does God do? He says things like were written in Jeremiah. Because you reject me, I reject you. He says things like, even dry bones, I can make a living army. He says things like this, even you who are dead in your sins, I can make you alive in Christ Jesus. And he says things like this, if you're sinning, I will forgive you of your sin, but sin no more. And the world looks at that and thinks that's just crazy. Pray that God would quench our selfishness and not be the crowd seeking just the benefits of salvation. Pray that God would keep us faithful so that we would not be so prone to wander. Pray that God would have us submit to his word and way and make us fishers of men. Jesus calls us or the tumult of our life's wild, restless sea. But thanks be to God that in Christ he has appointed a people to be a holy nation, a chosen people for his grace to his glory to be holy and set apart for him. Let's pray. Father, call us. Call others. Even those not of this sheepfold, as we say, Help us to see not just the benefits of healing and physical relief, not just the benefits of having wonders in the kingdom, but, Lord, of forgiveness of sins, of wondrous glory in your presence, seeing the wonders of Christ amongst us. Lord, call us, change us, mold us, shape us, that we might follow Jesus. We pray in his name.